Turn to Philippians chapter 4 and please stand for the reading of the word this morning. As we continue our series on Love Letter from God, we have reached the fifth epistle of Paul as we continue in Philippians. We also will read our key verse for the entire series, which is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then Philippians 4. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with you, dear And I plead with Sintich to be of the same mind in the Lord. And yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned but had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church showed with me, shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Hide me behind your cross, Lord Jesus. Articulate the Father's heart through my voice. And let the Holy Spirit breathe new life to us, opening our ears to hear the message of God. Amen. You may be seated. Maybe you've seen it. The black eye tape with an inscription. As the athlete, usually a big, burly football player, runs through their opponent in the latest competition. Philippians 4.13, it says. Perhaps you've heard it. The actress stands on stage with a quivering lip, 
holding the coveted trophy she's just won, and bravely says that she can do all things through him who gives her strength, right after she thanks her producer, fellow actors, and her parents. Sometimes maybe you breathe it as a prayer. Lord, I have so much to do, but I can do all things through you, right? Please give me your strength. A Facebook post, a wall hanging, a magnet maybe. You've seen it. And yet Paul isn't saying that he can do all things through Christ. Instead, listen carefully. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Paul is specifically describing how Jesus gives him the strength through the Holy Spirit to learn to be content whatever the circumstances. In other words, God doesn't promise that you can do whatever you want or whatever you've committed yourself to. Instead, God promises through Paul's words that no matter what circumstance you find yourself in, you can learn to be content. And I'm not saying that God won't give you the strength to do the things you must do. And I'm not saying that God won't help you in your darkest moments. But I am saying that if we are cross-stitching the scripture on a piece of muslin to hang in our house, we would do well to remember that Paul isn't talking about achievement or success. Paul is talking about joy. Philippians is, after all, a letter to a church that is experiencing a significant amount of persecution and suffering. Most Christians under Nero were, which is when this letter was written. And Paul is writing this letter from a Roman prison while anticipating his own death sentence to be handed down at any moment. Paul and Silas founded this church in Philippi about 10 years earlier. Philippi is a place that is about half Greek and half Roman. The Roman citizens were primarily retired military and their families who had been granted a parcel of land in the community after a military victory. The Greek citizens were those who had been there before, who were now primarily poorer and servants to the retired military group. The Christians faced opposition from the Roman citizens who felt a deep gratitude to the Roman emperor for what they had and who were incredibly loyal to the empire. And they felt that any of the veterans and their families who converted to Christianity were betraying their heritage and biting the hand that fed them. Part of the reason for this is because Roman worship was pretty open about many gods But the civil religion, the one that all Roman citizens were expected to be about, said that Caesar, the emperor, whoever that was, was also a god. And thus, when the people said, Hail Caesar, it was more than an affirmation of respect. It was worship. So Christians didn't do that. Christians believe that Jesus is Lord of everything they do and say. Christians do not bend a knee to anyone else. 
Christians live their allegiance out to the God they've met and become a follower of, not swayed by political movements or currents of the day. And as we have recently said, the law the Christian commits to obey is this, love your neighbor as yourself, no matter who your neighbor is. The Christian has no enemy. Paul says some of this earlier in his letter, too, because he's encouraging the church in Philippi to keep going. Philippians 2 has a beautiful hymn to the lordship of Jesus and the humility that brought Jesus to us. It says this, Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a person. He humbled himself by being obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, And gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. These are words that Paul is writing to people familiar with the military. People who know how to obey and how to command. And Paul is telling them to think of the other first. And to remember that their worship and allegiance are only to Jesus Christ, the Lord who has been exalted after dying for us. What does all of this have to do with joy, you might ask? Well, the reality is that this letter mentions joy or rejoice no fewer than 16 times. This from a man who is in prison, writing to people who are experiencing persecution. Joy, Paul writes, is mandatory behavior that is made possible through the power of the Lord. I can do all this through him who gives me strength, Paul says, and he's talking about being content even though he's poor or rich or failing or successful. But the thing that caught my eye as I studied this week was not just the idea of being content, but this. I have learned to be content, Paul says. It didn't happen overnight. It is learned behavior. And not only that, but this is a part of what Christ gives him strength to do. Not just being the content part, but the learning to be content part. Learning part. Paul says, I can trust God to teach me and give me the ability to learn how to be content whatever happens. And when I am content, no matter what my circumstances, I am able to say, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice, even while I am in a Roman prison waiting for the Roman government to execute me. I want to make sure that we see that, that Paul is not delusional. He is not happy-go-lucky, singing fa-la-la while pretending that he is not actually in prison or that his circumstances aren't dire. Paul knows exactly where he is, what awaits him, and how serious it is. He can likely hear the roar of the crowd from the Colosseum as the lions tear his brothers and sisters apart, or hear the screams of his oil-soaked compatriots 
as they are set alight in Nero's gardens. He is not denying that this is happening. He doesn't wish it away. He recognizes it as negative and bad and terrible. But he also knows there is more. And he also knows that God is teaching him to be okay in the moment he is in. Celebrating who God is even as he waits. Even as he lives out these things. He lives in prison but preaches the gospel Not only by telling people the good news, but by being content and by telling others that it's because of Jesus. The Redeemer who sets people free from their bondage and sorrow and teaches them to be content too. Joy isn't laughing as though your heart isn't breaking when real sorrows and hurts come along. It's grieving those losses and still recognizing that the grief isn't forever, that the grief is okay, but the feeling and the state of existence are two different things. Being satisfied that the Christ who is Lord of all the Christ who walked through suffering himself and who promises to walk through our suffering with us, that is a joy that doesn't succumb to the whims of circumstance. It's a joy that is stronger than job loss, bad health, financial windfalls, and incredible success. It's a joy that stands separate from the feelings we have, but tempers every moment we live with a reverberating chorus. I will be in this moment with Jesus, and it will not break me or wreck me or make me or magnify me. It is all about him. That is a joy worth having, a joy that brings with it the peace that passes understanding. And if you don't have that joy and peace, but you are following Jesus, remember that it is a learning experience. You can have it, but it's not something that just happens. Like any education process, it requires time and persistence and the work of God in your life. So let God work. And the next time you see that verse on a bumper sticker, The one that says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Remind yourself that it is not a promise of being able to leap tall buildings in a single bound, but something much more thrilling and fulfilling and powerful. It is a promise of joy. Well, as we have been doing every week in this series... I want to remind you of what it looks like to say that the love of God is found in every page of Scripture. You can follow along on your blue sheets, and wherever it is bolded, I would ask you to respond with that as we go along. What does it mean to say God loves? God loves to create us, to form us from the dust, to let us fail, to let us choose our own way over God's, to let us chain ourselves to sin and defeat and heartbreak and sorrow and death, death. 
to provide a rescue, a way back through wanderers, murderers, adulterers, defaulters, promise breakers, foreigners, strangers, and lovers. To show us mothers, judges, kings, and prophets who loved and spoke for God and kept reminding us of the promise of redemption. To show us how evil and wrong continually mess things up and how obedience to God fosters holiness and bestows blessing. To send us Jesus, the only begotten Son of God, to preach and live peace, grace, hope, joy, and love. To see Jesus rejected, to see him die, to see him buried. To raise Jesus from the dead and send the Holy Spirit to remind us of all we have in him and empower us to live like Jesus. To want us to live like Jesus, an abundant life infused with all the fruit of the Spirit, redeemed, free, loved. To still let us choose our own destiny. To promise the hope of forever, of resurrection from the dead, and final judgment. God loved us enough. God loves us enough. God will always love us enough. For God so loved the world. Beloved, God loves you. God wants you to know it. God wants you to live in it. God wants you to be able to love others because you know you are loved. And God's love is expressed to us every week most tangibly as we gather at this table. The son who died and yet lives gave everything so we could know the depth of God's love. So come, drink the wine, eat the bread. No, you are loved. God loves you. Go. Love the world with him.